Well, today is Easter Sunday, and I know many of us didn't expect that this is how we would spend our Easter Sunday. We would be in our living rooms trading out Easter dresses this year for pajamas. Uh, normally, for guys like me, this is Super Bowl Sunday, man. This is a day I look forward to all year long, and I love it for one very simple reason. I get the opportunity to share with you the message, the very center of the Christian faith. And it goes like this, that because of our sin, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, into the world, born of a virgin, to come into this world and to live a perfect, sinless life, to die physically on the cross for our sins, and then was raised bodily from the grave three days later. And because of that, he was exalted and sits at the right hand of God and now will return for his people again someday. That's the Christian message in a very uh, simple form. And it means so much, even though it's that simple. I'm guessing that just as we don't think that this, we didn't think that this would be uh, the way that we would spend our Easter Sunday, that the initial followers of Jesus didn't think that it would turn out the way that it did on that day either. None of the disciples thought that that particular Sunday was going to be like that. It had been quite a week for Mary Magdalene. She was a true follower of Jesus. She's somebody that pops up in his ministry throughout the scriptures. It was just seven days earlier, she was there and she watched Palm Sunday happen. She watched people throwing down palm branches. Just three days before that, she had watched the unspeakable take place when Jesus was crucified and then laid in a tomb. Now it's this morning. It's still dark, very early in the morning. That kind of time in the morning when you can hear the newspapers hit the driveways, when you hear the crows beginning to kind of clear their throats, when your first neighbor that gets up really early in the morning to go to work starts warming his car up in the house next door. At that time of the morning, she goes to the tomb and she went there because she cared so deeply for Jesus and she wanted to make sure that his body was being cared for. And because of the Sabbath, the day before, she wasn't able to go and attend to his body. So she went to the tomb early that morning, trying to get a head start on caring for his body that day. Those of you who've lost a loved one, you know how it is sometimes when, when you just want to make sure that they're cared for. Whatever's going to happen, and, and amidst the tragedy and amidst the tears, to go, I just want them taken care of. That's how Mary was feeling on that particular morning. One can only imagine how heartbroken she must have been. Jesus had been her absolute everything. She had been with him ever since he had healed her of all of her afflictions. Luke tells us that Jesus had sent seven demons out of her and raised her brother Lazarus from the dead. And from that day forward, she had followed him, not half-heartedly either. I mean, she was in the mix every step of the way. She was part of his core. She was right in the middle of the Jesus vortex the entire time from the day that he changed her life the way that he did until this moment right here. She supported his ministry financially, we know from the scriptures, supporting him with her love, supporting him with her daily devotion all the way to the cross. John tells us that she stays all the way to the end at the foot of the cross. Even as all the others wander off in utter dejection and disorientation, Mary was there. She had seen it all. And so that morning, she heads to Jesus' tomb in all likelihood to finish that embalming process. As she walked to the tomb to pay her respects that morning, I imagine that she was remembering him again, missing him more and more as she began to continue each step toward the tomb. Those of us who've experienced the loss of family or a close loved one know what the week after 
is like. If you stood beside somebody through the experience of death, you know how it is for them. They're short on sleep. Throat is sore, eyes are burning, heart is aching, fatigue and grief permeating you from bones to skin like the dull pain of a toothache. This is, no doubt, what Mary's feeling. Three days. It had been three days since the unspeakable happened. So she decides to visit the grave again, only to find that the unspeakable has happened yet again. She goes and she tells Peter and John what she sees, which is nothing there. The tomb is empty. So Peter and John take off in a foot race and they head to the tomb. It appears John is a little bit faster than Peter. But John goes in. He doesn't know what's happened. So he kind of peers in from the outside. He sees the the linen cloth laying there. But he's too afraid to go inside. Peter, being Peter, just barges right into the tomb. He gets there a little bit later. He's a little slower, apparently. And he just barges right in and sees what's going on. And after a moment or two, John then kind of comes in behind Peter into the tomb. And as the Bible says in John 20, verse 8, he saw and believed. Peter and John believe and they return to their homes. And interestingly, Mary, the mother of Jesus, happened to be staying at John's house at the time. And we can only imagine how she felt when she heard the news that Jesus was alive. But back at the tomb, there's the other Mary. And she still is kind of toying with the idea of possible foul play, that the temple guard maybe had stolen the body. And so she can't handle it anymore. And so she breaks down in tears, thinking that they had done something with his body, that the temple guard had done something with his body. So let's join her at the tomb that morning by reading John chapter 20. We're going to read verses 11 to 18. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. And at this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you've put him and I will get him. And Jesus said to her, Mary. And she recognized her voice instantly. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and to your God. And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And as she told him, and she told him that he had said these things to her. His question, who is it you're looking for? And her exclamation, I have seen the Lord, illustrate perfectly the glorious impact of resurrection on the human life. I've told our church sometimes before, my family has a habit or a a little thing that we do every year. It's called the jar. It's very simple, little practice. You take a jar, an empty mason jar or something like that. You get some slips of paper and you write down on slips of paper. First, we do predictions, things that you might predict. Who's going to win the Super Bowl uh, if, it's, if there's an election coming up? Who's going to be elected president? Uh, any of those kind of things. And then on another slip of paper, we write our goals for ourselves for the year. I want to lose 15 pounds. Uh, I'm going to do this and that and the other. We write those down. We take them. We put them in the jar. 
And when we get to New Year's of the next year, we open them up and we all laugh at how miserably we failed at things and uh, ooh and ah at who got certain predictions right and stuff. It's a very fun thing to do. If you're looking for something to do with your kids this week, that's something you could do. Normally we do that in January, but this year we were not able to do that until last week here in the midst of the COVID-19 crisis. And there's something very different about looking at your goals in January when you're fully committed to them and looking at them again in April when you have nothing to do, literally nothing to do except open the jars. So in this particular case, it wasn't just the laughter at the goals we had missed. When it got time for us to fill out the new ones, it felt different. It felt different. It felt as though I was a little bit clearer uh, that the goals were a little bit more poignant this year because I had the headspace to think about them. Uh, I wasn't being sloppy with what I was going to say. I wasn't, I wasn't looking at a, a full year to live this out. I was looking at a time when I'm doing a lot of thinking about a lot of things, and you may be in the same boat. You may be in this position where you're trying to think about, okay, what goals would I set? And you have no idea on predictions, right? Who, who, how do you predict the future right now? Very hard to do. But goals, things we would like to do, or even better, the kind of people we would like to become. When I read the story of the resurrection, I think to myself that if God can raise Jesus from the dead, then maybe, maybe, or certainly, he can do the same type of thing in my life, that God can, just as he raised Jesus from the dead, that that work of bringing life from death can happen in the lives of everybody, including mine. And I have to realize that sometimes there are things that require so much power, only God can do them, which is why most of us are miserable failures at setting and reaching our New Year's resolutions. Because all it is is a, an exercise in trying hard, which is not really uh, an exercise that we're usually very good at and one that we're prone to win. But this one, which relies more on supernatural power given to us by God, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, that changes my ability to carry these things out. It also typically changes the kinds of goals that I set. Maybe, sure, you want to lose the 10 pounds or the 15 pounds or the 20 pounds or the, the quarantine 15, as we're all going to be carrying around when this thing is over. But that's fine, but don't let the opportunity to change who you are for the better happen. What a mistake that would be to go through the kind of things that we're going through and never have taken the time. If we don't have anything else, we probably have time. Time to reflect on who am I? Who would I like to become? And here's the question I love on Easter Sunday. Who might God be able to help me become? How can I reach all of the visions that God has of who I could become in this life? Because most of the things that we want in this life or want to become in this life are really only possible with Jesus. And that's why we fail to reach so many of the goals that often matter most. The resurrection story reminds us that Jesus isn't just stronger than death. He's strong enough to deal with all the different things that go on in this life and, and help us become the kinds of people that he knows in his mind we can become. He still raises people 
from the dead. One of my favorite little places that I've ever heard about in my life is a place called the Empire Drive-In. You can find it in Queens, New York. And what makes this place very different, it's not a typical drive-in theater. This is a place where everything there is reclaimed. So what I mean is everything from the screen to the cars that you watch in. You don't drive your own car in. They have junked cars sitting there at the drive-in for you to go sit in. So you're sitting in a reclaimed car, a junked car. You are watching on a reclaimed screen. They typically only show silent films there and they have a little band that plays music on reclaimed instruments. So like beat up, junked instruments. They play the music on those instruments. You're sitting in this junked car and what they've done, I think is a great metaphor for how God kind of works in people's lives, that when you look around, you look at something like a church, what you're seeing is not a, oh, a collection of finished porcelain objects. It's a lot more like the Empire Drive-In. It's a place where you go and what you're witnessing is somebody has taken this collection of otherwise easily discardable objects and has begun the process of pulling them together in a way that is quite beautiful. I love um, the, the story of the, from the Empire Drive-In of an evening that was programmed by Todd Chandler and Jeff Stark, uh, and they put together 30 piano players playing old Casio keyboards, like you would have seen in the 80s or something like that. And they performed pieces for three different silent films, and uh, they, they do all of this right in the midst of what seems completely junky and useless. And then here you've got these people playing this beautiful music on all of these instruments and these people sitting in these cars. Man, what a, what a great way to think about what God does with the pieces of our lives. See, we can't always do it all over again. But we can become a new creation. And nobody embodied that better than Mary Magdalene. If anybody needed their life to change, it was her. Mary Magdalene needed that, and guess what? It happened, and it can happen for you too. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 21 says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And that phrase, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The key phrase there is, in Christ. If anyone is in Christ, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. The promise of new creation is for those who are in Christ. And our testimony is, uh, isn't um, just you know, this, this kind of hazy idea about, hey, your life will get a little bit better in this and that and the other. It's very specific, and it's tied directly to the empty tomb. It's that Jesus, this one who died on our behalf, has risen from the grave and God has made him Lord 
and Christ. And by his wounds we've been healed and by his power now I can become new and am made new. Jesus died so that I could live and that you could live. Jesus died so that we could live and he rose so that we could rise. Easter has always been about power greater than the power of the body. It stands after 2,000 years as the single greatest testimony to the power of God over all things, greater than disease, greater than death. Easter is fundamentally about life, and that brings death itself even to its knees. Jesus says at the empty tomb that death never gets the last word, and that word That last word belongs to Jesus who rose on that day. And that one who rose on that day will say to us again, rise. And when that moment comes, we will do that very thing. Right now, all over the world, people are taking communion. Communion was one of those things that Jesus put in place. I'm so glad that he did. That he wanted us to remember on a weekly basis We come together, and we do this every week at New Vintage Church, and we take bread, and we take a cup of fruit of the vine, grape juice, wine, uh, and we, we, we break the bread, and we take the wine, symbolizing his body and his blood that was shed for us on the cross. But we don't do it just in memory of what he did. This morning on Easter Sunday, we're celebrating a risen Christ who is now among us, who is gathered with us here at the table. Somebody that we know is alive and we believe is with us on a daily basis, every step of every day. And so even as we celebrate and commemorate his death, we also want to be mindful of his resurrection this morning. So right now we're going to celebrate communion. I'd like to offer a prayer for us. And then as we celebrate communion, we'll also do some singing as well. May God bless you. Let us pray. Father, this morning on Easter Sunday, we give you thanks for Jesus Christ, the risen one. We remember now with bread and cup all that you did on the cross for us, but we also realize that, Father, the cross was not the end, that the empty tomb, Father, speaks a new word of life. And so for Jesus, the risen one today, Father, we celebrate on Easter Sunday all that the resurrection means, how it means new life, it means new creation. We thank, we're thankful, Father, for how your word testifies of how so many lives changed because of the power of your risen son. We're thankful, Father, for the witnesses he appeared to that testified on his behalf, for those who went around the world preaching the miracle of the resurrection after his death, and many of whom met their own death for preaching about that resurrection. We give you thanks for them, Father, and we ask that you put a word of grace on our lips that we can share with others, and that, Father, the power of the resurrection would, would manifest itself in us this morning and each day. We now take the bread and the cup together with Christians all over the world, and we give you thanks for all that it means to us. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, the risen one, our Lord and Savior. Amen.